Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am William Chase, joined today by Pale Dragon and Eric Seeds. How you doing, guys? Eh. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's it's yeah. You know, another another rainy Sunday here in central Ohio. Yeah, it's gray. We had storms last night too, but yeah, well, to go ahead and kick things off. So last week we started the show by talking about Jonas Corposalo's two-year deal with the Blue Jackets, and this week a little bit of deja vu as we are now talking about their other goalie, Elvis Merzlikens' two-year deal with the Blue Jackets, which came down Thursday. So he is going to be making about $3 million in 2020-21 and $5 million in 2021-22 for an AAV of about $4 million. So guys, pretty simple, but what do you think? Yeah, I'm really excited that Elvis is back. Kind of surprised at the dollar amount. I guess I'm a little surprised he got more than Corpusalo, but I guess I've long been on the train that Elvis should be the starter, but I was surprised the front office gave him the dollars. I don't know if that's because he has more experience starting overseas or he has more experience just, or he's older. I don't really know, but I'm really happy they got both goaltenders under contract for roughly $7 million total per year, which is... Kind of a steal, all things considered, especially in the goalie market when people were looking at paying Sergei Bobrovsky $10 million a year. Getting two goalies for 30% less than the one is obviously a great move by the front office. I really hope that the starting rotation kind of moves around next year, that Elvis gets at least, I hope it's like a 60-40 split between Elvis and Corpusalo, but honestly I'm really happy that they got both goaltenders signed before the summer there, this is one less thing we'll have to worry about. the The situation is stabilized. We'll get a, we'll get a couple years to take a look at both guys, provided they don't trade one and decide if they if they want to move forward with one, both, or neither in a couple years. So they've got a they've got a couple more years of evaluation, and I think that's a really good thing for this front office. Um, and they did it fairly cheap, so good moves. Yay! Yeah, I'm very happy with the move. Um, it, it's a great value, I think, just combined. Add up their cap hit. Look at the production we've gotten from both of them this season. You know there are teams that are spending more than that amount on just one goalie. <laughs> San Jose. And, and, yeah, and some of those goalies are not producing as well as these guys have. So uh, amazing value there. 
doesn't hurt the cap too much. Still got plenty of room to sign other guys. And I think that it puts the team in a good position. They have a lot of options going forward. You know, they could go ahead and just have this tandem for the next two years. And I think that's fine. I think the team can be successful that way. Um, I do think that it seems likely that they will have to trade one of them at some point because both are going to be unrestricted free agents at the end of their contracts. So probably in another year, they might need to go ahead and make the decision to commit to one or the other and should maybe trade the other because they can get some something in return. Because both these guys, I think, have, still have a lot of value, especially with you know their 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 contracts and their cap hits. Corpus Allo especially, like, you know, he's an all star goalie technically, and as a cap hit under three million, there's a lot of teams that I think would be happy to take that. Maybe at some point next season. Now you know the team is all along all season been saying that you know Corpus Allo is the number one. You know that's been the line from Torts. You know as long as he's healthy, he's number one. But I think the different. Uh, cap hits for these guys and Elvis getting the higher one I think that kind of blows that out of the water right like if he's making more you yeah. almost you, you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. play him more right and I and I think he deserves to play more now I think if he hits a a, a rough patch you know I think you, you should ride the hot hand but you know I based on what we've seen from Elvis since you know the start of January you know he definitely has the higher ceiling I think you know he, he was the more dominant Goalie, you know, Corpy had some great games here. Not to take anything away from Corpy, but you know the the string of shutouts that Elvis had. Um, I think there's definitely a lot more upside there. So I think going into next season, that he should be the one that gets the first nod. But like I said, we don't need to ride him. We don't need to be playing him. Right. Three, we don't, he doesn't need to play three and four or every back to back. Absolutely not. Yeah. So you know, if it's a split of. Elvis starts two out of three. I think that's. I think that would be a, a fair rotation for those two guys. Yeah, and like you said, I think not only does Elvis have the higher upside, but I think he's kind of the more technically proficient goaltender of the two, which makes me feel. I, I feel more comfortable with him in that. Just as a fan, I don't see. I don't see the giant rebounds from out of Elvis. I don't see. I see him kind of control his crease more and uh, kind of control... He controls shots, um, controls rebounds, and even if there are rebounds, they're not into high-danger areas. I just... I, I, as a fan, you know, not even as an analyst, but just as a fan, I feel more comfortable with Elvis back there because I feel that he's not, like, you know, relying strictly on athleticism to make saves when he might be out of position. I feel like Elvis is kind of more technically sound, and it, I felt like that definitely came to light in January when he put up that dominant streak. And, you know, obviously it took him a little while to get adjusted to the North American ice and the guys shooting from all angles and angles he might not have seen over in, overseas in Europe. But I certainly feel better about Elvis than I did in October, and I feel like he is very technically proficient which is what we heard while when he was over playing over overseas that's that kind of kind of bore out uh, as the season wound down here so i i'm very excited to have both of these guys for cheap i think they both have value if they wanted to commit to one you could trade the other to a team who needs cheap goaltending help or needs uh help in net maybe like a vegas or a san jose you could pry a useful piece out of there to try and uh help them shore up their goaltending and we could get a useful piece in return. Well, and, and Corpus Allo, you know, had, for what we've seen from him this season, like he would be an upgrade over a number of other starting goalies around the league. 
So I definitely think there are teams that would make that move, whether their goalies are struggling or whether they're just getting older and they want a younger replacement. And, you know, and both of these goalies are still fairly young by goalie standards. You know, they're at the same age. It was about 25, I think, each of them are. Or yeah. 20, yeah. just about 20, yeah. Elvis, 26. Elvis, so. is 20, Elvis is like 25, 26. I think Corpy is maybe six months younger. No, no, they're two weeks apart. I love oh, this. really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I think, I think it was not April 9th. Ignore me. So. <laughs> so anyway, so that, yeah, that, another team could, could trade for one of them and and have a long-term piece, and Columbus could stick with one. That would be, you know, their long-term piece as well. But, of course, then we have these several in the pipeline that are intriguing as well. So we'll see what they do with that. But there's, there's a lot of flexibility. You know, with two-year contracts, they're not super committed to either. But, you know, for the near future, we've got some— You feel pretty solid. We've got some security in that. Yeah, whoever's the backup on a night-to-night basis, whether it's Elvis or Jonas, it's like you feel pretty solid from, an, uh, you know, either one. I think we all agree, like you said, uh, Seeds, that Elvis is feels like more of the number one. But regardless of how that plays out, you feel pretty good with either one on a night-to-night basis for the most part. And real fast, isn't it funny? PD kind of mentioned it already, but isn't it funny how much the two are making when we consider their productivity versus, say, Bobrovsky from last season. <laughs> yeah. And I do think Bobrovsky will be better going forward, but we all, we, we all I think, agree when it comes to big-time contracts for goaltenders. So it is kind of, uh, it's interesting, to say the least. You're right, Will, that, that we we do have the, the confidence in the backup because neither one would be seen really as a backup. I think it's really more of a 1A, 1B, 1A, 1B yeah. situation, which is, you know, and credit to Corpusalo, when he was behind Bobrovsky, he was definitely a backup. And there was definitely a step down from Bob when he had to start. Um, but that's not the case this year. I think the team at this point has a confidence in both goalies. So it, it's really not a loss to the team if one is in the goal versus the other. And just to say we feel better about uh, our goaltenders than you know other teams... Our two goalies next year will count, what, $6.8 million total against the cap? Mm-hmm. Martin Jones next year for San Jose will count $5.75 million against the cap. So, guys, we could be in a lot worse position. For sure. Yeah, and uh, I was just thinking, too, when I think of a backup goalie, say, like Curtis McElhaney, like he was a very solid veteran backup, but, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily consider him your everyday starter if you didn't have to. But, yeah, with Merce Lickens or Corpus Allo, like let's say Corpus Allo is the backup, um, it just feels a little different. Like he could probably be a starter if he ends up getting traded or however that might play out. Anyways, yeah, I, I like the move. It's it's an understatement, obviously. I mean, two good goalies, and uh, you feel really good with their defense and their goaltending, and now we'll see what they can do offensively. And there was actually more contract news last week as Mikhail Grigorenko, so his contract was rejected by the NHL due to, quote, a misunderstanding with a filing window, and quote, Yarmo Kikalainen has said that the team has been in contact with the league and Dan Milstein, who is Grigorenko's agent, and the contract will be filed on July 1. So, PD, what were your thoughts on this whole situation? I had a lot of thoughts on this. When I first saw the news about the signing, I, you know, I looked up his stats and, you know, over his NHL career, nothing really very impressive there. I think he topped out at 10 goals in a season once and his high points in a season was 30 or something like that. So like just kind of a bottom six forward, nothing impressive and, and underwhelming for someone who was drafted in the mid first round in 2012. Um, so I thought, why are they signing someone like this? Now it's, you know, one year contract, $1.5 million. 
so it's not um, it's not a risk to sign it. It's not a huge commitment. But with all of the restricted free agents we have that have split time between Cleveland and Columbus, who also could project to be kind of a bottom six type, but have more upside, I, I was a little curious about why they would make that signing. You know, why sign him and then maybe let someone like Kevin Stenler and Cole Sherwood walk? You know, I, I didn't understand that. But then I looked at his stats in Russia, and since he went back to the KHL, uh, his game has changed a lot, and he's been a prolific scorer there on a good team. He's gotten some national team reps. Um, so it is possible that he just benefited from that change of scenery, uh, that he maybe he needed to mature, that he just wasn't ready as a young player to be playing over here in North America. Um, so if you took his just his Russia stats and said, oh, he's this Russian guy coming over, you know, in his mid-20s, like, say, Panarin did when he came to Chicago, then I'd be a lot more excited about it. It's just that his previous NHL experience was really bad. So hopefully he has the a better approach this time. He's more mature. He's been through it before. He knows what he needs to do differently this time. Um, and I, I gather that these, the Jackets have been scouting him for a few years. Um, he's, he's close with uh, Vladislav Gavrikov. So he spoke to him before making the signing. Uh, spoke to Feder Tutin as well, who works for the front office. Um, so this could be a really this could be a very high upside signing by the Jackets. Um, I just I don't uh, you know I hope it's not blocking a, a younger player that might have more potential. Um, but if it you know if it pays off, it can pay off in a big way. It could be I think I heard Portsline and Allison Lucan on their podcast comparing it to the Sam Gagne signing a few years back. You know, s- someone off the scrap heap that just needs one last chance and-, and could really pay off for the Jackets. And as for the whole timing of this, I mean, it's a little embarrassing for the Jackets, right, to have, like, the signing rejected. Yep. It's now it, it, And it's not going to matter because they'll make the signing when they're able to and the player has committed to signing with us. And I get the NHL, silly. the NHL has to enforce the rules. I get that. But I almost feel like the Jackets, I mean, they, they understand the rules. They must have gotten some guidance that it was okay to make this signing now. And then somehow the NHL caught that it wasn't. So there was just a lot of miscommunication there. And couldn't they just, like, not just say, oh, hey, this contract rejected. Couldn't they just say, like, oh, we recognize that this will not go into effect until the new league year. Like, yeah, they yeah. will be signing like the NFL, contract right? in the future. I, I don't get it. I feel like the yeah, I feel like the NFL does that where it's like he's signing, it just isn't official until March whatever day or whatever. I, I feel like that's how it works in the NFL exactly. sometimes. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's basically my takeaway. I, I I don't know if they were trying to sneak him onto the roster should the team should the season come back or uh if they just, you know, tried to do it, you know, basically looked at the front o- league front office and said, yeah, the season's over. We might as well just sign him for next year. But I, I, I'm kind of excited to see, you know, maybe the change of scenery going back and maturing in the KHL helped him out. Yeah, his, his previous play in the NHL is not all that encouraging, but maybe he was a late bloomer. And if, if he maxes out as a third line guy, so be it. The front office, Yarmo has already said that He's going to get a look at like all three forward positions, so maybe he'll get a look at center. And with and don't forget we've got we've got Liam Foodie coming in next year too. So maybe this will maybe if these two guys come in and work out, maybe this allows Boone Jenner to move back to wing. I don't know. We'll find out. 
I guess it's just kind of it's a low risk, m- mediocre reward signing. I guess you know it's not like he's committed to the cap for a long time or a, a lot of money. Like I, I like what the team is doing. They're making the most of this downtime, right? You know, there's there's no obviously NHL games happening, no playoffs happening for, for the moment. Uh, all the other leagues around the world have shut down, so they can't be like scouting players for the draft. So and there are so many, you know restricted free agents to deal with. So I like that there's like, Hey, the players aren't doing anything. We're not doing anything. Like let's start talking contracts, you know, so they're getting a lot of work done now for next year, um, which I think will especially come in handy because if play does resume at some point and then they still want to start the next season in a timely fashion, that's going to be a much shorter off season. So with like the draft and free agency, it's all going to be very compressed. And so I think the more that we can get done now while we have this downtime, the less frantic they'll have to be in the next offseason, whenever that happens. Right. And, you know, this guy was a high draft pick. Like, clearly there's some there's some talent there. There was a pedigree before he was drafted. And, you know, going into the 2013-14 or the 12-13 Buffalo Sabres, isn't exactly that those teams weren't you know lighting the world on fire they were finishing dead last in the atlantic for however many straight years and then he went then he went to colorado when they were at a very low point right he might not have been all that productive but it's not like he uh was exactly on teams that were winning a lot in spite of him or he was just dragging teams down yeah there's obviously a pedigree there and this is obviously this is the kind of guy that you want to take a chance on if you're you know you might as well i mean it worked out in the same in the sam gagne instance so you know there's there's clearly some talent and pedigree and there's something that helped him be the 12th overall pick out of the queue so might as well roll with it and see what happens what 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 the hell can it hurt Quick backstory on Grigorenko. So he had the 46 goals, 70 assists in 147 games in the KHL from 2017 to 20. And then as you guys mentioned, he played for Buffalo and Colorado between 2012 and 17. And he's still just 25 years old. So it feels like he should be older considering all those years he's been playing. But yeah, as you mentioned, PD, still in his mid-20s. Feels like a depth piece maybe. So we'll see how that might translate. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.
in an article by Craig Morgan on The Athletic on Friday, his piece dove into the cities around the NHL that could be seen as hosts for hockey should the sport resume for 2019-20. There's a criteria kind of in place that cities must be able to meet, and Columbus is one of the favorites because, as the article talks about, most notably, Nationwide Arena has four full dressing rooms, lots of nearby hotels, practice rinks, and the COVID-19 rate is on the lower middle end, a lot of the NHL markets. So we've been talking a lot about what we think might happen or not happen with hockey the rest of the season. But based on any new developments or articles that's talking about what's going on, what do you guys kind of make of this? Yeah, um, I remain unconvinced that the NHL returns this year. I just... It's just a reality. I don't. I don't see them playing games in July and August, and then coming back in November. Uh, it throws off guys' entire off seasons. Drew Doughty did an interview a few weeks ago where he talked about how after playing in the World Cup in like August or September, and then he basically played in pain the whole year because his off season was disrupted. So that's part of what these guys would have to weigh. I don't know if the NHLPA would sign off on this. I don't know where guys. We I obviously don't know where guys stand, but. I mean, it's cool that Columbus is a market that's being considered, and it honestly makes sense. They've got all the dressing rooms in Nationwide Arena. They've got multiple chillers around town that the the teams could practice at. They've got the ice house. You could theoretically hold two games simultaneously if you wanted to play one on the big ice and one in the ice house, or you could have a practice in the ice house and play games in the arena. Lots of hotel access around the arena. There's several hotels downtown where teams could... uh, theoretically quarantine themselves and then just go to and from the arena or the practice rink and get and be catered to that way. Columbus obviously has experience hosting events like this at Nationwide Arena and the surrounding hotels when they uh, hosted the Women's Final Four a few years ago. Each of the each of the Final Four teams and their fans were kind of set up in a different hotel and it, that it kind of proved that this can be done here in Columbus. So Columbus as a market for this makes sense from a logistics perspective. I just, from a reality standpoint i just you know until there's mass testing available i don't see this actually happening but ohio's in the process of kind of ramping up tests the governor's announced some plans so maybe this will happen i guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah that's my concern is that you you don't know if columbus is a relatively safer city until we do have a more expansive testing regime here in the city, which we don't really have yet. But yeah, it is great to hear Columbus considered. I think we could be doing the league a real solid if we were able to host. Uh, I'd like to maybe say, hey, if we're one of these cities, can you then give us like an outdoor game? <laughs> Help us out a little bit? We'll, ho- we'll host on the condition we get the cannon uh, for all games Columbus plays yeah. in. Although uh, that's the other thing I'm curious about, because they mentioned that they won't necessarily have you know, they'll have four cities, and it'll be one city per division, but they don't necessarily have to be cities within the division. And it seems to me that it might make more sense to not have Columbus be the metro site, because what if you had a home team playing in that city, would those players be forced to stay in a hotel, or would they still be able to be at their homes? And then wouldn't that be a bit of an unfair advantage to that team? Especially have certain teams that are hosting and are right in the thick of the playoff bubble. I, I could see that being not super fair. So I could see Columbus maybe being a host for a different division and the Metro being placed in a non-Metro city, to be fair. Uh, the other concern I have about this plan, um, that's something Brian Hedger pointed out, is 
you know, all the games remaining on the schedule are not interdivision games. So there would still have to be travel back and forth from these cities, which seems like that introduces a risk factor. Now, obviously, they could make it so there are not overnight stays involved, that you could just fly in, play the game, fly out. Um, if they're planning on doing three games a day, you know, they could schedule you as the the middle game, basically, so you're not flying out at, you know, 10 o'clock. Um, but that's that's a logistical hurdle that they'll have to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Seats. I'm still skeptical that all the logistics can be met and that this can be done in a safe way. But, as I've said before, selfishly, I kind of hope it does happen because I would just love to see some live sports again. Yeah, yeah. it would be interesting to see how it plays out. There was so the, uh, there was a New York Post article that came out on Saturday by John Tortorella's best friend. That's a joke, uh, Larry Brooks, <laughs> who had he, he he had an article that was kind of highlighting more of the challenges, and I thought it was pretty interesting. I I wanted to paraphrase some of the stuff that he brought up. So, for instance, he said the NHL's credibility would be on the line if play resumes for. It won't only be the players putting their trust into the league, but the public as well. And he cites, you know, certain players who in the past have been diagnosed with whether it's diabetes, Brian Boyle, who was diagnosed with chronic myeloid like leukemia in 2017. And it sounds like, you know, these players would probably be at more of a risk of, pot of potentially contracting COVID-19. And he goes on to mention that, or at least in his opinion, that the shutdown following a restart would likely be more damaging for the sport than an outright cancellation. And the last thing that he brought up that was interesting was he kind of alluded to if there's a scenario in which multiple players would have to be replaced by AHL call-ups you know from uh, from expanding 30-man rosters after testing positive the NHL just it's going to have to present a credible product so it just sort of highlights the obvious challenges that we already realize but when you think about it a little bit more specifically like players who might have underlying issues and how it could affect and it's yeah it just I still side on the fact, or I still side on the uh, opinion that I, I don't really think it happens, but I, I give the league credit for at least trying to exhaust all opportunities. Yeah, you're right about the risk factor to players, and I think that if, you know, if just one player tests positive, that's going to have to shut the whole thing down. You know, just like the NBA shut down immediately after Rudy Gobert testing positive. So that's a huge risk factor for them. Obviously, they need to test before they get started. But yeah, any single player comes down with it then while they're playing, that, that ruins the whole thing. Um, the other concern I have is for the teams that are out of it, how motivated are they going to be to be playing again when their season is effectively over already? Right. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I saw there was a plan that I think Yarma was the one who floated to the league about uh, a sort of tournament for the top pick. Um, but how do you handle a team like San Jose who doesn't have their first-round pick and is also not going to be in the playoffs. Like, what motivation do those players have to to be part of this and, and to you know put themselves at risk by being part of this, and yet they have nothing to gain from from playing? Right, and and part of that is like you know that that leads into the imbalanced schedules. Like you know if we're if we're in a wild card battle here, so the Florida Panthers are three points behind the Blue Jackets right now in the in the wild card standings. In now, granted, and they've got one one game in hand. Is it really is like how motivated are the you know if the Jackets come back and they have to play Washington, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, and the Panthers get Montreal and the Red Wings twice? 
you know, do you really think the Detroit Red, Red Wings and their 39 points this season are really going to be all that motivated to get out there and play? They're just, at this point, going through, if they're even, if you can even manage to convince those guys to show up, you're going to be looking at, you know, guys who are, you know, unmotivated, going through the motions and really just trying not to get hurt for however many games they contractually have to show up for. Honestly, like, if, if you're going to do, if you're going to come, if the NHL insists on coming back, I really think the best way to do this is to find a way to expand the playoffs and you, you kind of make an even number of teams in each division and just kind of bracket it down that way and then maybe just have one centralized location for like the Eastern and Western Finals and the Stanley Cup Final. That that really, that's probably the best way to go about this and make it more equitable. And then those teams out of it, you know, you just kind of go by points percentage and do a lottery for the playoffs in that way or a lottery for the uh, number one pick in the in that way, or I guess what you do is you just everyone agrees Detroit was terrible. Give them the first <laughs> pick in a lot in a lottery for two through seven or whatever. But I, I just don't think there's really any. It's really hard to find an equitable way to come back and force teams like Detroit, Ottawa, New Jersey, uh, these teams who are just god awful this year to come back and play these games when they're they're not going to be in it. They're not going to be motivated, and that's just and that really screws up the standings. Uh, of teams who who might be in it, like like this this the the Sharks and the Kings aren't going to be motivated while you know Van or while Winnipeg is going to come back and play you know balls of the wall because by points percentage right now they'd miss by one one thousandth of a point or something insane. There, there there's really a no there's really no equitable way. I think it might just be a you expand the playoffs to twenty four teams and then just give Detroit the first pick and go for and you know just say six teams from each division get in give detroit the first overall pick and just go from there just see what happens yeah it's gonna look however this comes back is gonna look weird it's gonna look extremely weird and some some team is gonna get screwed and scream about it for all eternity (laughs) so we might as well just get really we might as well just get really weird with it and try and find something that strikes a chord of we're going to appease the people who might have missed we're going to appease the people who were never going to make it and we're going to try and keep those teams out of it who were never going – the players were never going to come back motivated. That's – yeah. You, and, and, you know, feel free to get as weird with it as you will. Yeah, I think skipping to like a – right to a 24-team playoff makes a lot of sense. And they could probably get things done quicker that way while still saying, hey, we finished the season. Yeah. And then get and, the offseason started. A 24-team makes total sense. And you can you can bang through that fairly quickly, especially if you do like divisional sites and then a neutral site for the like I said the Stanley Cup final, and then you just go you know you you, fin- you finish the season on Friday, bang Monday the Monday's the draft, uh, bang the next Saturday's free agency. We're getting towards the end here, but I was curious real fast on your guys' thoughts with the NFL draft, just based on the format of doing it on TV or. Basically doing it uh, from Goodell's basement, but obviously it looks like the NHL can just follow in that kind of similar lead as well. Whenever they can get around to doing it, yeah. Only I, if Gary Bettman gets as sloshed as I think Roger Goodell was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like. <laughs> I love how the, yeah. the remote booze for Goodell were interesting. Uh, yeah, the, I, I was a, a little disappointed that we didn't see more glitches. Like I wanted some team to just have complete technological failure and miss a pick. But uh, I guess yeah. the, you know it would, you know it would have been the Browns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Their, their GM has a master's degree in computer science, so he he's not oh, he's not a boomer. So I didn't have concerns about that. Uh. 
Yeah, um, it was funny. I think Goodell, in the middle of the first night, he had they someone tweeted like, "Why was why did Goodell change clothes like in the middle of the first uh, the first uh, night on Thursday?" And then I think it was Friday night. He was just like sitting in his chair, all relaxed and everything. After Thursday, he looked a little bit more kind of buttoned up and you know formal yeah. about it. So it's kind of funny. But well, that's gonna do it for us this week. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. She's also on tour right now, so go check her out at AngelaPearlie.com. And you should also check out Angela Pearlie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJ Cannon and comment on jacketscannon.com. From all of us at the Cannon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Oh,